is, is I'm going to be introducing a series um, this morning um, that I've titled Greater Than, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, this will be out of 1 John, and uh, I've been um, preaching out of, they're, they're sometimes called the general epistles, and um, they're all of uh, the books of the Bible that are between Hebrews and Revelation, and they're called the general epistles because they're written to a general audience. It's, it's not like um, Paul's writing where he's writing to the Romans, uh, um, but these are written to a general audience, a more general audience. And so we're going to jump into First John, and um, these are these are books to the Bible that are um, rarely preached on, actually. Is, uh, it's not often that, um, that the church, which is too bad, is spending time in these particular books of the Bible. And, uh, and so this is the first time in well over 20 years of ministry, but 20 um, years of being a lead pastor, that I've ever preached through First John. And... Um, and so we're going to go ahead and do this, but it's a series that I've called Greater Than. Um, it's helpful for me right now to be reminded of these things. If you haven't noticed, um, we're in a pretty crazy season of life. Um, maybe you've noticed um, that I get kind of anxious um, at times, especially um, during this time when it's such a political time. And it's so interesting because now when we say political, we almost entirely mean that in a negative sense um, because that's... Um, that's the way that our world is, our country is right now, is that it's, it's so polarized. And I, I struggle with every election season, every four years, I struggle more um, because of the, the vitriol that comes out, the polarization that comes out um, just um, this week. Um, Facebook is almost uh, a dangerous thing to look at um, these days. Uh, this last week, um, there was someone who posted uh, a picture with a list of all of the, um, the leaders, the Democrat leaders that are pedophiles. And there was a whole list there that someone had posted, kind of a got you kind of a post. And then a little while later, someone posted all of the Republican leaders that were convict- convicted of pedophilia. And I thought, this is what we've gotten to. And I've actually come up with a word for it. it is, maybe it was a word before, but I thought, we are at the point where we enemize people. Um, where we're just turning everyone into enemies and we're enemizing um, the other side. It's a us versus them kind of thing. There was another post on Facebook that said, the, the biggest thing that we have to worry about from the Democrats is higher taxes. The biggest thing that we have to worry about from the Republicans is concentration camps. It's all about making each other the enemy. And, um, and there's so many things that are, that are dividing us right now. And, um, and that can cause me to have anxiety. And I know is the cure for anxiety is prayer. Um, and, uh, and so I do that a lot and then I get anxious. (laughs) So I pray some more. Um, but you know, right now it seems almost cliche to say that we should be praying for our country. Um, it seems, you know, just something that Christians um, say. But you know what? We should be praying for our country. 
And as Christians, we, we should be saying is, is, hey, how do we focus on the greater things? Because it's so easy to dip into the less thans. It's so easy to dip into the us versus them kind of thinking and acting and so easy to just dip into the arguing. But what does it look like to be different? And I want to encourage us that as we move closer to this time, and I think September 26th is 40 days before the election. And in scripture, there's a lot of 40 days kind of stuff. Um, but to really pray, and it's, it's crazy that we have to intensify our prayer at these times, but it's not wrong to intensify our prayer. I mean, we should always be a people of prayer. But there is something about praying very intentionally during specific periods of time. And I would like to encourage us to do that. The other thing is, is, you know, there's this big push. Everyone should get out and vote and things like that. But, um, but I really want to challenge you that instead of voting for a particular political platform, just, just because you grew up conservative or you grew up liberal or anything like that, is, is I, I think that that is so dangerous, particularly for followers of Jesus, because as followers of Jesus, we're to get our ethics and our morals from scripture, not from a political platform, because every political platform will let you down. Everyone. Um, in fact, the one that most people in our area agree with almost dropped the sanctity of human life from the platform this year. And people would be surprised by that, but they had removed it from the platform and the Catholics caught it beforehand and called and said, hey, what are you doing? Removing the sanctity of human life from the platform. They added it back in. It won't be long. And it'll be dropped. And, um, you know, we're an evangelical church. A lot of people think that's a denomination. Or they think it's a political party. It's neither. It was never intended to be political. Even evangelicals have made it political. The word evangelical comes from the word evangel, which means to evangelize. It's to share the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But it's also our approach to scripture is, is evangelicals, not so much more as they used to. Now evangelicals are ending up all over the map. But evangelical take the, evangelicals take the word of God seriously. Is that it is our guide for life, but it's more than our guide. It is God's word. And it's true for every single one of us. And I think that Christians, more and more in the future, is, is we're, we're going to be kind of like that voice calling out in the wilderness that Scripture um, talks about. Behold, the kingdom of God. And repent, the kingdom of God. And, and we need to be able to say it to both sides. And we have to be careful how we say it. Sometimes we say it without saying it. But we have to be willing uh, to, to say to culture, is what if there's a better way? What if there's a different way? And to do that articulately and to do it in a winsome way, to do it with a smile on our face. And to be willing to engage our culture, not with anger, not with arguments, but with a deep desire for people to know God. And be willing to spend more time in a relationship and be willing to spend more time with the other side of the aisle, so to speak. Do you know that I have one friend who I would say is a, a liberal, kind of the other side of the political spectrum as me? One friend. And that's a problem. 
And at one time he said to me, is Brian, is I'm beginning to hate evangelicals. Is you're one of the few that I respect. And I almost felt like there was a but in there. Uh, but I might lose respect for you too. And that's because it's politicized. Um, but I know is, is that when he gets together with other people that are more like-minded with him, sometimes he brings up his evangelical friend. Maybe negatively, but oftentimes positively also. And so as we're moving into this season, we could live in anxiety, but the better is, is to live in prayer because, um, because uh, I don't think that we should just have this, this thought is, as well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and so let's just pray that Jesus comes back. Is yes, let's pray that Jesus comes back, but let's also pray that in the between time that we are the light of the world in the hands and feet of Jesus and that we shouldn't just give up and let culture go down the tubes and let the enemy win, so to speak. But that, that we, we should engage every day, engage the darkness by being the light of Christ and engage the brokenness by being the hands of healing, um, to engage um, the, the political realities by saying is, is that there is another, it's called the polis, there is another city, the city of God, and it is so different than the cities of this world. And yes, we are, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we should care about this world for every day that we're here. But, but let's, um, let's engage, not disengage. And so yes, vote, but, but don't vote just because a political platform happens to be or just because you're conservative or liberal. Somehow we got to get beyond that stuff. And we've got we've to say is, is because I am a follower of Jesus, I care about the broken world that I'm in. And I don't want to add to the brokenness by posting this or that on Facebook and enemizing everyone. I got to be real careful with that. It sounds like enema, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, I'll come up with a new word. That's a terrible word. <laughs> but that's kind of what everyone's doing to each other right now. <laughs> I got to start preaching her. <laughs> Sorry, I just got embarrassed. Okay, that was the first sermon. Let me quit. Let's pray. Father and Lord God. It's easy for us to now be distracted by the politics of our world. But Father, I pray that as we jump into your word, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us. And Lord, that we would see that there are so many things that are greater than the lesser things. And ultimately, that, that all of the greater thans, they just build up to the greatest, to your work, through Jesus Christ. And that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So Lord, speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this series, Greater Than, um, it comes out of 1 John, 1 John 4. He who is greater than, um, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And it really has me thinking about is, is, you know, what are the greater things? Not just Jesus. Yes, Jesus. But then there's all of the greater things that we're um, called to right now. And so I'm just going to introduce this series. Um, and, and that idea of greater than. Some of you will remember the movie I Can Only Imagine um, with Bart Miller in it. Um, the leader of Mercy Me, the band. A great band. Love, love, love um, their music. Um, they actually have a song, Greater. It's not as popular as I Can Only Imagine. 
Um, but here are the lyrics. It says, bring your tired, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all right because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living inside of the world and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. Every time I fail, there'll be those who call me a mistake. Well, that's okay. Because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed when others say, I'll never be enough. And there's almost two voices going on there. The, the voice of the person who's struggling with all of these accusations, tired, shame, guilt, pain, doubts, fears, hurt, tears. And then there's that other voice, the voice of God. This speaks when others call me a mistake. Well, that's okay because I hear your voice and he calls me the redeemed. And when others say I'll never be enough, greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world and greater the one living inside of me than he is in the world. Bart Millard actually um, had a hymns album and he, he went to that old hymn, Grace is Greater Than All Our Sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Because sometimes the sin seems so large in our world. And even in our lives, it, it sometimes seems that it has the victory. But grace is greater than all of our sin. And so as, as we jump into this series, Greater Than, it's a series out of 1 John. And some might say, is, is why do you call it 1 John? Well, because there's 2 John and 3 John. And it's the first one. And, uh, and why John? Well, because um, John was one of the original 12 disciples. And sometimes there's arguments about who was the author of these, but, you know, First uh, John, it, it, there's no introduction in there. Hi, this is John, and I'm writing to you. Um, but if you read First John, one of the things that you find is, is that the language, the usage of terms is so much like the gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is interesting. I forgot this in the first service, but the Gospel of John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were written much, much earlier. Is they were written closer to when the disciples walked and talked with Jesus. And uh, we think, um, we think uh, Matthew and Luke, to some extent, is, is that Mark came first and that Mark was kind of an outline for the other two Gospels. Because they share so many of the same stories and, and even impart some of the same outline. We call it the synoptic gospels. Is the, the original language is S-Y-N means um, together. And uh, noptic, optic, seeing. Seeing together is, is that they're, they're, it's like looking together. Those three books kind of fit so well together. But John is, is so unique. Did you know there's no parables in John? Is there in the other three Gospels? Because the, it's almost like John is saying is, is, hey, instead of sharing the parable, let me show you a real illustration of Jesus. Instead of telling you a story that has meaning, the story is the meaning. And he shares 
those real life incidences with Jesus, 92% unique. But John's writing years later and he's, he's, he's saying is, is that you already have the other gospels. Let me share with you. And he kind of organizes it a little differently also. Um, but uh, we have a lot of information about John, both in the Bible and then there's historical sources also. Here's 10 things about John that you may not know or that maybe are reminders. One is, is that he's the son of Zebedee. Um, Zebedee was a fisherman, and so it's Zebedee and sons fishing. And uh, so he's kind of a businessman. Kind of the expectation is, is that James and he are going to take over the family business. Um, he um, had these partners um, that maybe had their own business, or maybe they connected the two of them, um, Andrew and Peter who are also fishermen. And these, these fishermen form part of the nucleus of the 12 disciples. And so that's the, the first one is his sons of Zebedee and his mom's name is Salome. And we believe that Salome was actually related to Mary in some way. And so Jesus and James and John may have been maybe cousins. They may have been distant relations. They didn't know each other growing up, but there's a lot of connections. Salome was actually at the foot of the cross with Mary also. And, uh, and then, of course, James and John. He and his brother James were pretty impulsive, even rash. And so they're traveling through these cities, and there's a Samaritan city, and they're very unwelcoming to Jesus. And James and John said, is, is, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and kill them all? I mean, these guys were into barbecuing people. They were pretty rash. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Because, and I can imagine that Jesus uh, said this with a smile on his face and laughing. Like, oh, man, you guys, sons of thunder. You, you got a lot of noise <laughs> to you. John was one of the three disciples that Jesus spent personal time with. We hear in the Gospels is that he took Peter, James, and John. His brother James became one of the first martyrs of the early church when he was executed by Herod Agrippa. That's in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. So he was without his brother for the remainder of his life. He was along with Peter, the first to see the empty tomb. In fact, we're told that when the women come and uh, tell them that the tomb is empty, Peter and John took off running. And Peter's a little bit older, maybe carries a little bit more um, weight or something because John outruns him and gets to the tomb first. So he's fast. Everyone needs to know that about John, right? Or Peter's just really slow, <laughs> one or the other. According to tradition, John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home. Is From what we can understand, John was the only disciple that was brave enough to be at the foot of the cross. And Towards the end of Jesus' time on the cross, he looks down at, it's called the beloved disciple. John never refers to himself by his own name, but he looks down at the disciple and says, behold your mother. Looking at Mary and looks at Mary, behold your son. And from that point on, from what History tells us as John took Mary into his home until she passed away. We know that John moved to Ephesus, possibly after the death of Mary or took Mary with him. 
And that Ephesus eventually became the geographical and numerical center of Christianity. See, a lot of people forget that because we think Jerusalem's the center of Christianity. Well, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. Absolutely destroyed. And the center of Christianity moves to Ephesus. And uh, that it's very possible that John wrote his gospel, the gospel of John and these three epistles and maybe even Revelation is, is we know that he was first started to receive his visions while he was on the island of Patmos. So from Ephesus, uh, John was exiled to Patmos by the emperor Domitian. And it's possible that after Domitian died, um, that um, John returned to Ephesus. In fact, we think that he did. Um, I didn't know that. As I always thought that um, that he was exiled on Patmos, um, and uh, and that he finished out his life there. But uh, it's it's there's more and more people, more and more scholars that are say he returned to Ephesus and and um, wrote from there. And then John was the only disciple that we know that lives lived a full life. So at this time of history, if someone lived to be my age, which is feeling older all the time not just because I had a birthday recently, but, well, let's not get into that. But if someone lived to be my age, they were considered blessed. If they lived to 60, then they were considered rare. If they lived to 75, they were ancient. And if they lived to 90, they were a walking miracle. But John, John was used to miracles. And I can, I can imagine that John is writing in these later years of his life and that he is, he is that person with more wisdom than almost anyone, not just because of his age, but because he's the only one left of the disciples. And so you can imagine this older man who's writing to the body of Christ, the church. And then there's this all from Ephesus. Is, is, uh, the Apostle Paul started the work in Ephesus. You can read about it, um, Paul's first experience in Acts chapter 19. And it's interesting because it, it says that Paul taught in the synagogue for three months. And eventually it was, is that he faced such resistance by the Jews there that he left the synagogue. And we're told that he went to the hall of Tyrannus and that he taught there for two years. And that people would come and they would listen to him. And one of the things about Ephesus is that interesting is, is that it's one of the three most important cities in the world of the day. And it was a city of teachers. And so that you can actually go to the ruins and, and they've ex- excavated some of the ruins and you can find frescoes. And one of the frescoes um, you um, see there is, is it's a fresco with Socrates and Plato in this fresco. Is Teachers were... were exalted in this environment. And so Paul comes in as a teacher and he's talking about Jesus, but, but Jesus doesn't quite meet with the expectations of most people. And so most people reject Jesus. And then Paul's also coming into an environment where there's lots of competing ideas because the temple of Artemis is there. And we're, and we're told that there's this man by the name of Demetrius and that he is a shrine maker and that he makes shrines of Artemis that he sells. And he's upset, and he's not upset because he's all that committed to Artemis. He's, he's very committed to money, though. And he says to the other shrine makers, is, is this guy is coming in here, and he's saying 
Things like the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And Demetrius sees his income stream being threatened and he, he gets all of the other um, shrine makers together and then they, they, they cause a riot. The whole city ends up in a riot. And had it not been for one of the city leaders getting control of the situation, Paul could have very well been um, attacked and killed at that time. But a city leader kind of calms things down, but we're told that Paul has to leave the city after that. This is Ephesus. It's one of the most important cities in the world. You can actually, if you visit the temple of Artemis, there's one column left. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Is there's, there's historians that said it. There's a historian that said, I have seen the hanging gardens of Babylon. I have seen this and I have seen this, but there is nothing that compares to the temple of Artemis. Um, supposedly an amazing, unbelievable um, thing to see. And that city was the base station for John's ministry. One more thing I want to point out about John is John was known as the disciple who emphasizes love. The love of God and the love that we're supposed to have for each other. So the first part of 1 John is is it's about the life that we're called to live. and, And that next part is love. What does it look like for us to love God and love each other? And he's known by this time in his life and probably even early on, he's known for being a gentle, kind, shepherding and caring man. And I would argue that those things weren't natural to him. I've already mentioned that he and his brother wanted to destroy an entire village because they didn't welcome Jesus. But also in Mark 10, there were all these arguments that happened to be between the disciples is who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was a regular argument. But Mark 10 tells us that James and John went to Jesus when the other disciples weren't around and they they came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, we want to ask for a favor. Jesus said, okay, what can I do for you? They said, hey, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. Otherwise, we want to lead with you and have everyone else under us. Matthew fills us in even more on the details and tells us that their mom was part of the whole thing. Matthew says in Matthew 20, 24 through 28, um, it says that she, um, she came um, to Jesus and said, place my sons at your right and your left. And, and, uh, and we're told that the other disciples were angry. In Matthew 20, 24 through 28, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. The word indignant means really angry. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And that's interesting is, is because, you know, I think as John years down the road was probably thinking about this. In fact, I can imagine him being in the Agora. The Agora was this huge gathering place that was in Ephesus. And they would actually have um, meals there where the government would sponsor meals. It was such a huge area that the city could literally come together and they could have a meal together. And a lot of times it it happened around the worship of um, Artemis. But it was also the third largest slave trading center in the world of the day. And there'd be slaves that would be sold there. 
And I can imagine John sitting in the agora. The agora, by the way, is, is it's where we get our word agoraphobia. Uh, lots of people. And, and that agora, that, that congregation of people and, and people that have agoria, agoraphobia, they're, they're, they, they get very anxious anytime there's crowds, huge crowds, slave trading happening. And I can imagine John remembering the words of Jesus. This is not to be the way with you is, is in the world is, is, you know, Gentiles lord over each other, but not so with you, which is very un-American by the way, isn't it? So we're all about leadership, all about, you know, being above people, all about climbing ladders and all of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting is, is the Bible talks a lot about leadership, but it looks a lot more like followership than it does our view of leadership. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus is talking all the time about following. He says, you want to be a leader? Follow. So instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this made a huge impact on the disciples. And it may be at that moment that John's character began to change from one who wanted to be great, from one who wanted to be first, to one who said, is, is, you know, Jesus is the one who's great. And I needed to live my life to, to promote his greatness, to reflect his greatness. There's a Bible verse that speaks about God's fame, his name and his fame. Promoting his name and his fame. And it's possible is, is that John's character changed from seeking to be the greatest to lifting up Jesus as the one who is great. Like John the Baptist, he may have realized it's not about me. And you think about that, John the Baptist's disciples, John the Baptist had disciples too. And John the Baptist later directed them as, as hey, don't be my disciple, be, be his disciple. But they came to John because they said, hey, this other guy is getting more attention to you, than you. And you know what John the Baptist said? And John 3, 3, he must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. And you know, a lot of the jostling that we're seeing going on in our culture right now is all about who's going to win, who's greater, who's wrong, who's right. And I think that we're called to something that's very different. It looks very different than the jostling that's going on right now. And we could easily fall into that temptation of wanting to win, wanting to beat down the people that, that disagree with us, wanting all of that. But I, I, really, I really believe that there's something about embracing weakness so that we can embrace goodness. Something about saying is, is that I want better things. I want greater things than, than all of this jostling that's going on. Is that, in fact, is, is that there is one who is greater and, and I am willing to become less so that he can become greater. And I want to figure out what that looks like. And, and instead of jostling for position or for power, what would it look like to be, 
to be that person in the background that's just lifting up Jesus in every area of life, that's just saying, is, is that, hey, it, it's not about me, it's about him, and, and he is so different, and he is so good, and, and everything in the world is about building platforms here, but what does it look like to give him the attention that he deserves? What does that look like in our lives, in our family situations, in our work situations, in our community, in our world where where there's so much fighting going on. And I, I don't know, I want us to think about that a little bit. I have a little video um, that we're going to show that might help us to get a picture of that. Here's the video clip. There's a story, a story right, right in the middle, in the middle of the Gospels. Of the gospels. You may, may have heard. Jesus, Jesus is hanging, is hanging out, out with his disciples, disciples one day when the, when the mother, mother of two of them, James and John, and John she comes, up, comes to up to Jesus and, and she, says, she says, Jesus, when you, when you get to, get your, to kingdom, your kingdom, would you let, would you one, let one, of one of my boys sit on your, sit on your right, right, the other on, the other your, on your left? The Bible doesn't say exactly what the other disciples thought about this. But I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of snickered at James and John a little bit for getting their mom and dirty dirty work for them. But I bet all of them also had another thought in one form or another. How do I measure up? We've all probably heard before how God wants us to step up and be spiritual leaders, try to make a difference for the kingdom. Friend a friend of mine, of mine named Miles, comes, comes to mind. Miles, Miles has been pretty, been pretty successful, successful in his business. Well, well, really, really successful. successful. And I watch him sometimes. And admire the way that he uses the platform that God's given him. The, the integrity, integrity that, that he tries to show in the way he conducts his business. The money, the money that, that he has that he can give away. I started, started my own business, business a while back. A while back. Uh, dot com. Stop, stop me if you know, if you know where this is, where this is going. going. Right, right. I used to I used think to about all the, the, great, the great ways, ways that God could use me once my business took off. All the people I could influence. All the money, money I could give away. Just, just like, my, like friend. my friend. I, I, I think of think myself... Of myself like this, like this cup, cup, you know, you know? And, and, and I, and I, I, pray, I pray, God, God, would you, would you, would you just, would you just fill, fill me up with, with opportunity, opportunity with, with influence, influence. Give, me a give me a platform so I could, so I could use, use it for you. Funny thing happened to me, though, right, right before, before my, my dot com, com dot 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 when, 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 when it still looked, still looked like, it like it might, might actually take off. off. I started to think, think of myself not, not as, as the cup that God could use. As the, as the coffee inside. inside. I, I was, was what was going to be so beneficial to God's kingdom. kingdom. Maybe, I'd Maybe I'd even deserve a seat next, seat to, next Jesus. to Jesus. I've got another, I've got another friend, friend, Maria. She, she works, works in a, a fancy, fancy high-rise high building, building downtown, downtown cleaning luxury, luxury condos and penthouses. Her job, her job really, really doesn't, doesn't give her much give her of a much platform, platform like, like Miles has. And she, and she definitely, definitely doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of extra money to give away. But I, I, think, I think of her when I think, I think about the way Jesus responds, responds to that question from James, James and John's mom. mom. Because, because Jesus, Jesus he, he, turns he turns to the disciples, to all, to all of them, 
probably, probably because, because he knew, he knew they, were they were all thinking, thinking the same thing. thing. And, he and he says, you guys, you guys want to be great? Here's how, Here's you, how do you do it. Become, Become a, servant. a servant. You see this, you see this sleeve, sleeve on this cup? It's only it's got, only one, got job. one job. To support, to support the cup. The cup. That's, that's it. it. I, uh, I, uh, I think a lot, think of, a lot of times God says to us, to me, to me I don't want I don't you want to be, you the, to be cup the cup today. today. Be, the sleeve. be the sleeve. Just, Just be, the, be sleeve. the sleeve. Take, take the heat. For someone, for someone else. else. It can be it can a humbling, humbling role to be the sleeve when you, when you always, always saw, saw yourself as the, as the cup. But, but uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus he, wasn't he wasn't done yet. Done yet. He, says, he says to his disciples, you want to be, you want to be great, be a servant. Be a servant. But, whoever but whoever wants to be, wants to be first, first must, be, must your be your slave. slave. Do you ever feel like, like all, you're, all doing you're doing is cleaning up someone, someone else's mess? That you don't, that you get, don't get, credit get the credit for the work, for the work you're, doing you're doing for the kingdom. I got news, I got news for you. The cup, the cup it's, important. it's important. The sleeve, the sleeve is very, is very important. But Jesus, but Jesus says, says when you're willing, when you're willing to, be to be the napkin, napkin you're first. You're first. There's, There's something, something about, about the, the secret life, life of a Christian. Christian. About being, about the, being the napkin, napkin nobody, nobody even knows, knows about it. About it. Preachers, Preachers, I think, I like, to like, like to call it humility. humility. I sort of I like, sort of to, like think to think of it as some sort of, sort of spiritual, spiritual gravity. Gravity, gravity, gravity for your soul. Jesus, Jesus said, said, if you humble yourself, yourself before him, he will lift, he will you, lift up. you up. But if but you make, if you make yourself, yourself big, big, he will he humble, humble you. I like that there's something about the secret life of a Christian being the napkin. You know, I think this is the only time that we really see something similar to a napkin in Scripture is, is a towel bearer. Jesus gets up and does what the slaves would do. He walks over and gets the basin of water and he goes to the dis- disciples' feet and he washes their feet. There's something about the secret life of a Christian, the napkin. I had watched that video several times. I didn't notice until when we showed that, that the narrator is also the driver of the car. There's something about, you know, not being the important one, but certainly carrying the important one with us everywhere we go. And John, you know, in his older age, wants the church to remember some very important things and not the things about him, but the things about Jesus. Now he does refer to himself and it's interesting is, is that John, um, John doesn't introduce himself saying, hey, this is John. Um, but he, he immediately jumps into saying is, is that, hey, I want to point you to the one who I know and it's interesting because sometimes people think that John was maybe putting himself forward when he refers to himself in, in the book of John. He never uses his own name. He says the beloved disciple. 
And some people might see that the wrong way as is I'm the one that Jesus loved. I, I don't think that that's it. I think he's reminding himself is I need that reminder right now when everything's chaotic and when sometimes I feel like I don't measure up or I'm doing the wrong things and, and, uh, and when I don't feel cared for or I don't feel loved. Sometimes I need to be reminded of is, is I am loved. Jesus referred to him as the one Jesus loved, the beloved. And that's you. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, now you're loved before you put your faith in Jesus, but when you put your faith in Jesus, the one who loves very specifically says, I love you. To the extent that we could say is, is I am the one that Jesus loves. I am beloved. And so when John says that, I think each one of us can take that as a hint. We can say, oh, I am loved. But he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete more than anything else. You know what John wants more than anything else? It's for you to have fellowship with the father. And then he says, and all of us, the ones that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and touched Jesus. He he invokes all of the senses that we have. And and he's saying, you can trust us. I mean, he's a lot like um, Peter. And Peter, when he's writing, and he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And John's inviting us into that. He's saying is, is have, you need to have fellowship with the Father and all of us who, who follow Jesus and believe in Jesus. And, and so that invitation to the fellowship, and it's just that reminder for, for, for if we have put our uh, faith in Jesus to remember that we are a part of a fellowship with God and for all of the other believers throughout all of time. And it's an incredible fellowship and it is a blessing and it is a benefit. And we can call ourselves the loved children of God because of it. And so if you doubt that, then you need to hear you are loved. But then we have this fellowship with all of these other believers. And and he's saying is, is, this is why you can trust me. And this is why when you get to John chapter four, you can say, along with John, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a time of distraction. And sometimes it's hard to see how you're working in the midst of it. But Lord, I'm sure that the disciples felt that when Jesus was hanging on the cross. But to know that in this messy world where sometimes it looks like you're losing and we're losing, that it's actually just a part of your marvelous plan. And Lord, we thank you 
for Jesus. And, and Lord, we thank you for the reminder is, is that there are a lot of lesser things that are going on right now, but we are called to the greater one and that he is so good and he's so great that he actually stepped into the lesser things. And he shed his glory and his power in order to step into this world and to live the perfect life that we can't live. And literally to become a sacrifice for sin on the cross. That he became less so that we could become more. And we thank you for that. We don't understand it, but we thank you for it. And when we might be tired and full of shame and guilt and pain. We can hear those words. Don't you know that's not your name? And that we can hear a voice calling out to me, redeemed. When others say I'm not enough, greater is the one living inside of me than he who lives in the world. So Father, help us to be all about the greater things as we go into this week. Help us to be the kind of people that, although it looks weak, the kind of people who are just content with being the napkin. Being content with being a little bit less so that he can be all the greater in our lives. And may we be the reflection of Jesus in our broken world. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.